Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly. But sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. Hello, I'm Claire Mutimer. And I'm Susie Coulson. Welcome to The Backstory. In each episode, we'll be hearing about an experience that has happened to someone that shaped who they are. 30 minutes that remind us that everyone's dealing with something. So we're a documentary podcast. A docupod. Except you made that word up. We're continuing our season hearing from people who've sought justice after a terrible event. Thanks for all your feedback about our two-part story, Dead in the Water, with Penny Farmer, who tracked down serial killer Silas Dwayne Boston decades after he murdered her brother. If you haven't heard that one, then please do have a listen. It's an amazing story. Yeah, and today we're hearing a different story on a similar theme. This is Lee's story of getting justice for his mother, Cherry Gross, who was shot in front of him by the police on the 28th of September 1985 when they raided his family home. Lee was only 11 at the time. She was shot through the spine and paralysed, and the incident led to several days of rioting in Brixton. Cherry died 26 years later as a result of the injury she sustained that night. 29 years after the shooting, an inquest was finally held. This was a significant part of the justice process for the family. Let's hear Lee's story. I know you have something to tell us about that happened in your life. Where would you like to begin today? Um, Probably... um beginning before the actual incident and maybe just explain a little bit about what life was like for us as a family before the incident actually happened. There's always been this sort of perception around what Brixton was like at the time and it came across as being this sort of really hostile, violent place to to live in, which was the total opposite for us and and my experience as a, as a child so um, I was happy living in Brixton um, in the 80s we moved to Brixton around 81 so and I remember it had a real community spirit um, it felt like all the adults were parenting all the children so if you saw any of your mum's friends um, you would have to make sure you wasn't doing anything that you shouldn't be doing because they would they would pull you up and 
and that that it made you feel safe and i just remember like the summer the summer times we would just be playing on the streets we might be playing games like rounders and so on and so forth so and, and in those days everyone just played out on the streets um so it had a real nice buzzy feeling about living in brixton sounds great <laughs> yeah it was it was 28th of September 1985 it was about 7 o'clock in the morning and I was sleeping in my mum's room I was actually sleeping in my mum's bed at the time because my mum was babysitting her friend's children from the night before so they they all stayed over and we crashed out in the living room or some of them crashed out in the living room and I crashed out in my mum's bedroom that day and I just remember hearing this bang, this loud noise. And I woke up and I was a bit um, still half asleep. So I wasn't totally alert. And I just remember seeing my mum walk, walking towards the, the, the door. So I thought whatever it was, my mum's going to take care of it. So I closed my eyes again. And then I heard another bang. And this time... I jumped up and I just saw my mum on the floor and I saw a policeman. At the time, I didn't realise it was a policeman. I just saw this man, this white male, standing over my mum with a gun in his hand. I remember clearly his legs were wide apart. He had this gun pointing towards her and she was on the floor and he was just shouting at my mum saying, where's Michael Gross? Where's Michael Gross? And... I looked at my mum at the time and I could just see that she was distraught. She had this kind of real distraught look in her, on her face um, and she looked hurt. So I just heard her saying, I can't breathe um, and I can't feel my legs. And at this time, I just was hysterical. I, I jumped up on top of the bed and um, and I was just jumping up and down, screaming and shouting. And I remember swearing um, at this officer saying, if you if you touch my mum again, I'll, I'll, you know, what did I say? I think I said, if you fucking touch my mum again, I'll, I'll kill you. Something like that I said. But I was just angry yeah. at this officer. And I really felt like I wanted to attack this person for, for what they had done to my mum. And at the time I'm, I'm 11 years old, so um, this is probably two, three weeks after my 11th birthday. Right. So I just remember my dad was in the room at the time as well, and he looked over to me, and I saw the sort of worry in his face. And the police officer at the time pointed the gun towards me and said, somebody better shut this kid up. So my dad just said, Lee, calm down, please calm down. And at that point, because I saw the fear in my dad's face, it made me realise that this thing was really serious mm. and that there was a possibility that I could have got shot in that moment. That's how I felt. Um, my dad ushered me out of the room and there was just chaos in the house. Dogs, police, um, was just swarmed 
and it just felt like a dream. It didn't feel like it was our house. And we got ushered into the front room, but I was really, really anxious and worried at the time. So I just kept wanting to see if my mum was okay because the last sort of vision that I had of my mum, she looked hurt. So I want I wanted to know if she was okay. Yeah. So I fought my way back into the bedroom and they were trying to hold me off from getting in there, but I got in there in the end and she was on the floor. So I said, "What you know, is my mum okay? What's wrong with her? Is she okay? And the officer was saying to me at the time, she's fine. Um, and I said, so why is she bleeding? Because at this point I could see blood coming from, pouring from the side of, of my mum. And he said to me, oh, don't worry, it's just a graze. But I knew instinctively that it wasn't just a graze and it looked serious. I'll never forget because even in a in a moment of that distraught moment for her, whatever she was going through, the hurt, the pain, the confusion, the shock, the trauma, she still found time to rustle up a smile oh. to try and reassure us that, she was okay, even though I knew she wasn't. But that's a testament to my mum's character, that she always put us first. Right. And even in a situation like that, she was still worried about her children while we're worried about her, in a sense. Right. And now it was strange for us because we had the police in the house taking care of us, but the police had just shot my mum. So that was really challenging for me because there was two police women in particular who were there trying to console us and at the time I needed that I needed someone to console to console me um, but couldn't trust where it was actually coming from so I just remember feeling so torn in that space I, I didn't I couldn't understand why because I always looked up to the police. I saw the police as the people who got the bad guys. And I, I actually wanted to be a police officer. I used to watch all the cop programs, Starskin Hutch. I was really into those programs. So it, it sort of shattered my view of, of the police when that situation happened. I heard them ask for my brother. So I assumed at the time that they were looking for him because they were, they were asking where my brother was. Um, but why my mum actually got shot was, at that time, I was I was really confused about that. So tell me about at that time, what, what happened, like, immediately? The first time, I remember the first time going to the hospital to see my mum. And she just had this box over her legs. So that was quite confusing. And then I just remember the doctor coming into the room and saying that my mum would never walk again. So that was tough. And I found it hard to accept. So that like gunshot meant a lot of changes in your life, not just your mum, but obviously loads of different housing arrangements and that sort of thing as well. Yeah, it it shattered our lives. And the, the impact of what had happened wasn't just that my mum was now left disabled, but my mum was the, was the main carer. So therefore, the dynamics of the relationship changed. We right. became young carers for my mum.
I, I will never forget when the criminal, the first criminal trial happened and the officer, um, Lovelock, got off. And I was so hurt that this, this man got away with shooting my mum, paralysing her, changing her life forever and changing our lives. And there was no consequences for that. And I never forget, I looked at my mum and said to her, like, mum, how do you feel? No, this, 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 this man's got off. And she, she looked at me and said, Lee, at the time they were called a police force, not the, not the police service. And she said, the police, they were force and we can't fight the force. And it was her way of just saying she's conceded. She, she accepts that this has happened and injustice has happened, but there's nothing we can do about it. We just have to deal with it and move on. And I, I never forget that moment because for me, that it didn't sit well with me. I wasn't able to do that. That's not how I felt. But I understood that that's how she had to deal with it. That was her way. And I had to respect her wishes. She suffered with pressure sores. Um, at one point, an actual bone, in a, a thigh bone got infected. They wanted to amputate. And she was adamant that she didn't want that to happen. So they'd done an operation where they actually took out the the hip bone. And so there was loads and loads of loads of complications. Her health went downhill, right. suffered with diabetes. And so there's just loads of knock-on effects as a result of that incident. Right. So when my mum went into hospital in 2011, she ended up in a coma and... Unfortunately, she passed away while she was in hospital on Easter Sunday. Mm. So when she passed away in 2011, uh, they, they, the, the doctor concluded that her, her death was linked to the injuries that she sustained from the shooting. Right. Which then allowed for an inquest to be opened. And at that time, I had no idea what an inquest was. Right. This was totally new to me. I was just going to try to get my mum's death certificate and needed the paperwork from the hospital. And they told me that they couldn't provide the information because it's like there's like it's likely to be an inquest as a result of your mum's death. So at that point, I had to do some fast learning. Right. I knew a friend of mine who is a solicitor and he introduced me to somebody who could tell me a bit more about what an inquest was. So discovering that there was going to be an inquest gave me something to focus on because at that time I was so hurt about what had happened to my mum and all the suffering that she had gone through that I didn't know how I was going to deal with that and channel that energy right. now that she'd gone. Because during the time when she was here, I could focus my energy on looking after her. Right. Now she's gone, I'm thinking, what next? You're looking at it as an adult now as well, I guess, instead of a child. Like, That's yeah. right. So I could now understand through this process what had happened, why the police came on that particular day, what led up to my mum being shot. There was so much information that was hidden from us 
I was a novice and had no clue about what I was getting myself into. But I was just determined to make sure that I gave it my best shot. So tell me about the outcome. (laughs) So the outcome was the main body of the evidence that we had was the report, the investigation that was done when the incident happened that the family never saw the outcome of. We, because of freedom of information, we ended up getting that document and even that was a challenge because they didn't want us to have the document. But once we saw the document, it highlighted all the failures. It was enough for them to come back with a verdict of serious multiple failures by the Metropolitan Police. Now, do you understand why she was shot? What I understand now is that there's a, there's multiple things through reading that, that investigation report. Racism is one of the reasons. Um, lack of due diligence and professionalism. Lack of an understanding and a fear of a community which the police clearly didn't understand and they didn't follow basic procedures because that could have been prevented there was was no need to kick the door down in a family home and shoot the first person that you saw because basically that's what happened and there was just so many things they could have done simple surveillance on the house to understand that there was a family living in the house. My brother, the person they were looking for at the time, wasn't in the house, never lived with us. So all of these things, if they just followed very simple, basic procedures, my mum would have never been shot that day. So was it after the inquest that the police gave their apology for the first time or explained about that? That's correct. So that was the first time the family had received an apology. So we received a public apology on the back of the result of the inquest. I had mixed feelings about the apology. Because of what we had to do to get the apology, it didn't come from a genuine place for us because we had to fight for that, for you to say sorry. So it's never, it doesn't really feel good when somebody's forced to apologise to you, has a different feel to it. It was about, okay, what now? It was more about accountability. Now that you understand what you've done and the impact that it's had, what are you going to do about that? And and that became the next battle for us because they didn't want to accept liability they didn't want to be accountable for what had happened and in their own words they felt like they owed us no duty of care and we went through another process we ended up in the high court and it was only then that they actually conceded and accepted responsibility for their actions and so how was that shown like and what was the outcome for that so the outcome for that was that we ended up in mediation And it was a combination of mediation and a restorative justice process. Wow. And that was very empowering. 
Yeah. Um, and I felt like throughout that whole process, that was the most um, effective process for us as, as a family. So in that process, we were, we were able to really communicate the impact. I want to know that lessons have been learned. Yeah. And not only that they've been learned, they've been implemented. And the restorative justice, tell me a little bit about how you showed how you were feeling and what you wanted them to know about your your experience. Well, it came to me um, a few weeks before the mediation process. Um, my daughter, eight years old, was going to school and she had a book in her hand, which was about the police. Right. And so I called her and I said, what's that book you got? She said, oh, Dad, I'm reading this book about the police service. Um, I've read one about the ambulance service and the fire service and now I'm reading about the police. I was like, okay. So in that moment, I was like, if you could imagine like a film when there was a, a, a freeze moment where, yeah. you know, I was still and I just felt, I didn't know what to say, but what was in my mind was that book's going to tell you all the great things that the police do and they do do some of that great work. However, we've got a personal story that is going to totally contradict what you're reading. How do I tell my daughter that? story one day with balance yeah and that became that became the thing that became the focus around mediation for me right. and and the restorative justice process was about communicating that story as well as talking about what had happened to us and the impact it's also about how it impacts on future generations and how, where do we draw the line on that Right. And how can we be confident as somebody who's gone through a terrible injustice? How can we feel confident to be able to move forward and to be able to convey a different message? So, yeah, tell me a bit about like the restorative justice process and, and what you wanted out of it for your mum. The restorative justice process and the outcomes from that process was, was the, probably the most em empowering part of that mediation that we went through. And as a result of that, there were some outcomes, which were, um, I'll name a few. One was to have an award in my mum's name called the Cherry Girls Award, right. awarded to a, a police officer who does outstanding community work. So we want to be a part of improving the way they do their job. Right. Um, secondly, was to look at what's been set up for victims who have been traumatised as a result of police action. Um, so looking to put something together, a programme that people can actually go through who have been on the receiving end. So that's something that we felt as a family we could have benefited from. Right. And also to, to be influential in training so that therefore we could try to prevent these things from happening again and that they have a real understanding of the impact of your actions when you get it wrong. Yep. Um, how many lives are affected, not just that one person. So therefore to try and build something in the training that gives a little bit more of an understanding so that there's, there's more responsibility around how you do your job. Right, definitely, yeah. And I and I hope that one day I'm able to 
come back and say, when you ask me that question, what's changed? I can categorically have some clear points and say this and this and this has changed as a result of what what we had gone through. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Claire, I found it really useful for Lee to explain how life was before the shooting because I suppose it challenges those stereotypes that we have of Brixton in the 80s, doesn't it? You know, yeah. I think the riots were were so notorious that unless you know otherwise, that's kind of where your mind goes to. But really, like most kids in the 80s, they were all outside playing. Yeah, you always think of the pictures that you see on TV, yeah. don't you? Yeah. yeah, definitely. I know a couple of people who grew up in in a London in the 70s and 80s. And, you know, there was that thing of knowing that all the other mums were watching and they give you a good telling off if they caught you doing anything, which I can understand. Do you know any more about the impact on him as he's grown up? Yes. I mean, Lee used to want to be in the police, I think. And he was really keen to get across that a lot of the stereotypes are wrong. He was, he has felt such anger over all of this. And I asked him about anger and he said that he, it was getting worse for him and impacted a lot on his schooling and then when he was older yeah um and then when he was 30 he went to counseling to try and finally talk through why he was so angry and I think it was very related to how he had felt as an 11 year old child yeah unsurprising eh so we're talking about justice and with Lee's story I was really struck by the importance of the inquest because it's something that they fought very long and hard for isn't it What do you think it meant for the family? Well, I suppose it's an official process, a formal process that lays out what happened and the circumstances around it. Um, You know, we heard Lee talk about the findings about around the multiple failures, the racism, the lack of due diligence and so on. It's incredibly important to see these things formalised in some way. It's an acknowledgement of what injustice you've suffered, I think. Yeah, and the charity inquest it's its at the heart of what they do isn't it securing yeah. justice accountability and truth for families impacted by a state-related death and I know that they've worked on a number of 
cases, you know, deaths involving police use of force, deaths of children in mental health settings. And I think they're also working with the families affected by the Grenfell Tower disaster. And I guess sometimes with these situations, there's that double trauma. You know, you have the death in terrible circumstances and then you have that need for justice, you know, often involving a really difficult fight. So definitely. I think it comes down to money, sadly, often. Yeah. And the state body is so concerned with having to pay damages if they admit culpability that they end up not offering an apology and not offering justice, which is so needed by the family. Yeah. Lee spoke about restorative justice, which is something that you and I talk about quite a lot over a cup of tea, isn't it? Yeah, it's one of those things we get stuck on. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was great to hear that this was such a valuable process. It, it I had a bit of a scout around online and um, and found that it's like incredibly effective. Okay, come on, tell us what you know. Well, when it's part of the criminal justice process, there's an 85% victim satisfaction rate and a 14% reduction in the frequency of reoffending. So it's clearly powerful. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I like the positives that came out of it: the award in his mum's name, yeah. the treatment, the training all very positive um it's often a natural inclination isn't it to make something good come out of a horrific event it is yeah to do that moving on a little bit i would like to talk about unconscious bias because i think it fits in really well with this story you know that reality that for certain ethnic groups they have assumptions made about them yeah and i do of course realize that overt racism happens way too much but there's also those many kind of seemingly small instances of prejudice that I just imagine take a massive toll on people. Yeah, they've, they've, it's been called the death by a thousand cuts, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, there was a couple of cases, well, a couple of cases that spring to mind. There was a black MP, Dawn Butler, who was in a members only lift in Parliament. I don't know if you heard about this a few years ago. Yeah. And she was told that cleaners weren't allowed to use the lift. And also a guy who was an aide in the White House, a black guy who had the police called on him when he was moving into his apartment because basically someone assumed that he was a burglar with absolutely no good reason. He described how he's frequently asked to show what's in his pockets as he leaves department stores. It's hard to imagine, I suppose, isn't it? Unless you've experienced it yourself, but... I just think it must wear you down and just make you feel so incredibly, you know, it makes me feel incredibly angry and I haven't even been subjected to it. Yeah, there's some good online tests that demonstrate this if you're interested and we'll put the link to those in the show notes. Yeah, they're worth having a look at. Well, let's move on to our podcast recommendations. Okay. Susie, you're up. What have you been listening to this week? I have started listening to Shred's Murder in the Dock, which is a BBC Sounds production. Yeah, so that's like a separate app, isn't it now? Um, and yeah, they're kind of pushing more content through it, aren't Yeah, they're they? not yeah. putting it onto Apple Podcasts. Yeah. So it's, it's worth downloading the BBC Sounds app. Yeah, so... I was interested in this because it kind of fits well with with this podcast for two reasons. The first is that it's described as one of the most notorious miscarriages of justice in British legal history. And at the heart of it is the death of Lynette White in Cardiff's Docklands in 1988. And the story is told by the surviving members of the Cardiff Five, who were the men originally charged with her murder. And the second reason that I find it so relevant is just that thing about the need for a conclusion to a story. I think there's this kind of innate human need. 
And it might be one of the reasons why justice is so important to us. You know, it's that need to kind of finish off a story to find an explanation. Yeah, that's that's probably very true. Um, so Shreds, Murder in the Dock, we'll put the link on the, in show, the notes. show notes. Yeah. Next week, we'll be sticking around with our theme of justice. Acid attacks are becoming more frequent. They're a particularly dreadful way of inflicting violence and control. In 2014, Adele Bellis was waiting for a bus when a man approached her and threw acid in her face. Make sure you've subscribed to listen to Adele's backstory and what she's achieved since the attack. As always, thank you so much for listening. Have we ever mentioned the liking and sharing and reviewing thing? I don't know that we have. Do you want to give it a bit of a plug? Yeah, well, it really does help us and we do appreciate it. We do. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. We are The Backstory Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, at The Backstory Pod on Twitter. Search for The Backstory with Claire and Susie in your podcast directory. For sponsorship opportunities, or if you'd like to take part in a show, please contact hello at thebackstorypodcast.co.uk. The Backstory Podcast is produced by Tin Shared Productions. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher.